The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Did you know that your vulnerabilities are actually your greatest strength? Well, they are. But in this day in which we're being taught to build self-confidence without even making reference to an authentic self, we think that vulnerabilities make us weak. Actually, just the reverse is true. For how might one come to know oneself completely without getting intimate with one's own vulnerabilities? How will we know our deepest needs and most authentic desires without coming to know our vulnerabilities? And isn't it our vulnerabilities that allow us to take loving care of ourselves? There are many more things that our vulnerabilities can do for us. We're going to talk about some of those this week. So you want to stay here for the whole show. You don't want to miss any of this. First of all, let's explain what it what we mean when we say the word vulnerability. What we mean is the soft underbelly of you. The soft um, sensitive part of you. Now that can include some of your woundedness. It can include just the, your own sensibilities and sensitivities that are authentic. It can include some sensitivities and, and, uh, and sensibilities to things that aren't very realistic. So it runs the gamut, but all of it together helps you get to know yourself better. So it doesn't mean that every time you feel vulnerable, you are being authentic. That's not true. But it does mean that... When you are vulnerable, if you work with it and walk into it and turn and face it, and uh, by facing it, I don't mean face it down. I just mean turn and say, what do you want? What do you want from me? Sometimes in our greatest fears, the biggest peace we can get is just to turn and look at the fear and say, what do you want? Because sometimes the answer is, is so simple that it's right in front of our face and we don't even see it because we're so afraid. So we're going to talk a little bit about, the, uh, about all of those things today. So let's start with one of our biggest vulnerabilities, and that's fear. When I was a little girl, and that was many years ago, <laughs> we were basically taught that fear was something of which we should be ashamed. We were not supposed to be afraid. And, and I was a girl, still am a girl, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, my brother, I, I think, felt that to a greater extent than I did because obviously he was a boy and boys had this, uh, there was a societal sort of rule uh, that was given that boys were not supposed to be afraid. And there were all kinds of other rules back then about what boys should and shouldn't do and some of those are still at least archetypally in play but 
but many of them have faded, and I'm so glad for that. Um, and some of the young people that are de- growing up today uh, are are really being able to uh, run the gamut of their own feelings in a broader spectrum so that they're not uh, living into the old para, uh, paradigm of what it was to be, what it is to be a boy or a man. Um, but so the whole idea, though, of vulnerability, even for a girl back then, was that you just weren't supposed to do that. And, um, of course, my family may have been more dysfunctional about that than other families, but I, that's my frame of reference. So um, when it comes to this idea of fear, we do have sort of an archetypal shame that pops up right alongside of it because uh, for, for centuries, when the age of reason began, we were supposed to stop feeling. We were supposed to think and not feel. And so any feeling can be something about which we should feel ashamed, but particularly fear. And it began again in the, in the 90s when the whole uh, um, social media and T-shirt uh, phenomenon of uh, being fearless came about that we were supposed to just not be afraid, just go ahead and, you know, do whatever we're going to do and not be afraid. Um, and, you know, there's many people now saying that courage is not made up of not being afraid. Courage is made up of being afraid and doing it anyway. And I agree with that. I don't agree that courage is made up of, of trying to make fear go away. And I do have many people who come into my practice um, who want to talk about uh, fear, but but, you know, from the idea that it really should, it be, should be something that runs your life. In other words... When I, when I, when we talk about maybe a particular homework assignment, they say to me, "Well, that's really going to be too ha- uh, really hard. I'm really afraid of that," and they think that that means that they therefore should not do it. And certainly, we don't want them to do something that's really beyond their capacity or or is going to really uh, put them in a spiral downward. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to be challenged to go push the envelope out of their comfort zone just a little bit. Uh, so. This thing of fear is a biggie, and it's one of those things that we've, we have some archetypal ideas about that say that if you're afraid, you're weak, or on the flip side, if you're afraid, you should just give in to your fear because it's going to protect you. Um, but fear is just another emotional message. Now, you've, if you've been listening to my show for very long, you know that our emotions are messages to us, for us, and about us. They are not messages to us about other people. They're not messages to us about how other people should act. They're messages to us, for us, and about us. And they are our internal guidance system if we use them as messages. Now, again, I want to repeat that that doesn't mean that every feeling you have is going to be a directive. In other words, if I feel like punching you in the face, that does not mean I should do it. Uh, It does mean that I should turn around and really correspond with that feeling, dialogue with that feeling in a way that helps me understand what's going on inside of me, so therefore I get grounded more in myself. Um, so uh, when I am afraid, when, when say, let's say financial things come along and they're really frightening to us, or we've, we've had somebody give us a forecast of doom with regard to finances and we've bought into that and let our anxiety run away with it, and we feel, you know, wake up in the morning, you feel that big fear inside your chest. Oh, God, what's going to happen? Um, 
you know, if we if we try to push that away, it just goes further down. I mean, it goes into your stomach instead of your chest. That's about what happens. It doesn't go away. It doesn't uh, make sure that you don't put it into your behavior. I mean, we can make decisions out of that fear that we've tried to push away, and it's down there in the stomach making decisions for us. Um, and But it's it's not... That's not a valued way of doing it. Fear is not supposed to direct our lives. It's supposed to give us information about our lives. Or, and the same with our other emotions. So, so what does that fear say? Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. After it gets through saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, what does it say after that? Well, okay, it says, um, you know, bad things are going to happen. And then, you know, people aren't going to like me. I'm going to be poor and nobody's going to want to be around me. And I'm not going to be able to afford anything. And my credit's going to go to the pot and you know we go on and on about this stuff um and we tell ourselves all these things so there are some um, psychologists out there uh, albert ellis was one of those who said that that's something called catastrophizing we're making a catastrophe out of our fear and of course that just makes the fear bigger and bigger and bigger and therefore we uh, feel more and more overwhelmed by it and, and feel less and less capable of doing anything about our lives um, so, and very commonly, uh, it's true that when we catastrophize, we later learn that we really had nothing to be afraid of anyway. It was just uh, we, our own imaginings took us off on this roller coaster ride into the gutter of fear. So, okay, so what can we do with that? We can turn around and we can look at the fear and we can say, what do you want? What, why did you come here? What have you got to tell me? And very often what we get with regard to fear is is all the messages we've received from our childhood forward about fear, about, you know, what's, what's really going on at the baseline there? What am I really afraid of? If, if my finances just go to the, you know, to the gutter, what does that mean? Well, very commonly, what we're mostly afraid of is that it means something about us. No, we don't want to lose our houses. We don't want to lose our cars. We don't want to be homeless. Why? Well, because that would be a terribly hard life. Okay. And what else? Well, also because other people would be ashamed of me. People would think I was less than. I would think I was less than, you know. So we you throw that into the mix and we get to know ourselves better. We get to know that, oh, you know, I have this concern about shame and I've attached myself to shame in some kind of way that's made it possible for fear to sort of take over here. Now you're working with something entirely different. Now you're not just working with fear, you're working with shame. So then you can say, okay, well, you know, shame, what have you got to tell me? Well, the shame has to tell me that, you know, it, it, it wants to make sure that I'm always on top of things so that I won't ever have to feel ashamed. And, uh, and so the shame then gives me its message and I work with that message and as I do that, I'm getting more and more vulnerable to what goes on inside of me so that I can hear me better. I'm making myself more audible to me so that when the voice of my authenticity comes up, that I'm more likely to hear it. You see, most of us have spent eons of our lives trying not to hear the voice of the authentic self because... Uh, we've been taught that the authentic self should go into the closet and it should not come out because our parents needed us to be something else. And a real easy to see example of that is when an artist is born into the family of in, a bunch of engineers. 
Mom's an engineer, dad's an engineer, brother's an engineer, sister's an engineer, and I'm an artist. But I feel really wrong because I'm not, aren't I supposed to be an engineer too? And I may be shamed for that, for my family. Then why can't I keep up? Keep up? How come I can't do get math like they do math? How come I'm not a whiz at, you know, putting things together in an engineer kind of way? And, you know, why am I doing this artwork? What is this for? You can't make money doing artwork. What are you doing? So I may have already been shamed by family, and I've, I've begun to carry that shame because I interjected the shame, and, 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 and it, it became a part of my own identity. So, you know, I'm, I feel very different. I feel less than. And I, I then decide that, well, I better try to be an uh, 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 engineer. So I try to, you know, do everything they're doing. In the meantime, I'm, I'm, I'm losing out on being all that I am. I'm missing out on my own authenticity by trying to be them. And maybe if I work really, really hard, I'll succeed at being an engineer. But I won't succeed at being happy because it isn't me to be an engineer. I may have pleased them, but I haven't pleased me. And I haven't been who I came here to be. So I've missed out on all those years of being, being, following my own mission, which is to be me. So... That's a real uh, simple uh, example of how that works. It works in much deeper, more profound ways as well, of course. But the idea is that we have given up our authenticity in favor of the social agenda of our family or our friends or just society at large. Many people are giving up their uh, authenticity for an image, a body image. They are um, losing weight in some very unhealthy ways. To, uh, to, to, to have this image because body is all that people can see so body is what has to be changed and it's all about other people it's not about the self it's not about self uh, uh, um, fulfilling the authentic self it's about fulfilling the agenda of a crowd of people that you probably haven't even met or maybe some of those people are in your family and you want to please them you want to be liked and or loved by them, and uh, you give up literal health in order to do that. So um, that's another example of how that works. So most of us have just kind of shelved the authentic self. Most of us have just said, no, I'm not going to be authentic because the people that are in my life don't want that. They want me to be something else. And of course, that's all going on in the unconscious where we're not even aware that it's happening and uh, so we're, 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 we're not attuned to, to hear the authentic voice when it comes up or see what the authentic self wants us to see or act in an authentic way. We're not attuned to the authentic self. We're not in congruence with it. So we can't, can hardly even hear it. And its voice has become so inaudible to us that we might need a little help in hearing it. And so paying attention to our vulnerabilities is one way to make the voice of the authentic self much more audible. We begin to hear it better. The more time we spend in the inner terrain, and I don't mean you have to sit around and stare at your belly button all day, (laughs) but the more time we spend inside of ourselves, the more able we are to hear the voice of the authentic self when it comes up. So what do I mean by spending time inside of ourselves? You don't have to stop doing what you're doing. You don't have to stop your job or, you know, go off and live in a desert uh, or an ashram. And you don't have to do all that. But you can just be tuned in as you go through your day. And if you forget, just 
gently bring yourself back and go, okay, what's been going on with me? I used to give people assignments and still do occasionally give people assignments um, in therapy to, um, to s- spend five minutes in the morning and at lunch and in the evening at, after supper just going inside and asking themselves what's going on in there. How have I felt over the last three or four hours? What's been my chief emotion? What, what's that all about? Let's do some lo- looking at that. Where did that come from? What's going on in there? And what that does is just sort of get your mind attuned to the idea that it can live inside of you. You see, most of us don't live inside of ourselves. We live outside of ourselves based on the beliefs and agendas of the world uh, or our world. And we uh, respond to that as if it's the only thing there is to respond to. We're not even responding to our own feelings. We're not even responding to our own needs. We're not even responding to the things that we desire the most. We're responding to the world. So when, we, when, we're, uh, when we're actively pursuing our lives... It's not our life. We're not pursuing our life. We're pursuing the lives that other people have set up for us. And we don't even know it. That's why vulnerabilities are so, that's one of the major reasons why vulnerabilities are so important. Because they help us to get in touch. And they come up to help us get in touch. When something makes itself apparent to us through some feeling that feels very vulnerable and, and soft and, and it feels like, you know, if somebody wanted to, they could get in there and hurt us with that. Then that's an opportunity for us to say, oh, there, there's something being presented from my inner world that I could use as sort of a doorknob to open the door to f- going into the inner terrain and learning how to walk around in there and find my authenticity. So that's why our vulnerabilities are, are extremely important in terms of being able to strengthen our lives and become whole and learn to stand inside ourselves as real people um, because without them we won't we won't notice what's going on inside we just won't pay any attention at all because the, the world doesn't want us to pay attention to that there's a lot of hype out there right now about the authentic self and the being an authentic but not much hype about what that means or how to do it um, so that's why this show is around, to try to help us learn how to do it. And that's why I wrote the book, Restoring My Soul, a workbook for finding and living the authentic self back in 2007, because I wanted people to have a real way of getting there instead of just talking about it like it was just a, a concept that everybody understood and would know how to use. Okay, so we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more. Be back in just a few minutes. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being when so much external doing calls upon us? An Indian sage put it wisely, your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Jeel Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the spiritual spelunker in all of us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you just getting started on the path to metaphysical healing of yourself? Would you like to have some fun as you find out more? 
Join Julia Stubbe and Carol Lee Schloth each week as they guide you through the energetic toy box. This show will gift you the basic foundation and tools as you discover your spiritual path on a deeper level, encouraging the exploration of many facets and concepts such as chakras, healing, meditation, crystals, and more, so that you can use these in your daily life. The Energetic Toy Box is here for you every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Five seven nine five. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a PhD, a doctor of ministries, or in the holistic theology program, a doctor of theology degree. The programs in which you can get these degrees are holistic theology, Holistic Health, Holistic Ministries, Metaphysics, and Parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and meaning, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. The population of students includes doctors, lawyers, healers, nurses, ministers, counselors, psychologists, social workers, nutritionists, herbologists, homeopathy practitioners, psychics, mediums, and many others who have a special gift but need to learn to hone it and credential it. It also includes students who simply wish to enhance their own profound spiritual journeys. What is most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality by utilizing, as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. That's Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says that education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. And today we are talking about your vulnerabilities as your greatest strength. What we said in the first segment was that fear is one of those things we're vulnerable to, but if we learn to look at fear, what we find is the pathway inward, that we get closer and closer to what's true and, be able, and we're able to differentiate out what isn't true. And that's how we sort of, you know, uh, one of the things that Michelangelo said was that the figure was in the stone. And all he had to do was separate out, take the stone off of the figure, and it would 
present itself. He didn't say it just like I just said it, but the point is that that's the way we are. The authenticity is already in there. All we have to do is move all the clutter off of it, and we'll be able to find it. And one way to do that is to be able to look at what's really going on inside. Sometimes when we're afraid, we're standing in the middle of the street, and there's a Mack truck coming, and we need to be afraid. Sometimes when we're afraid, we're afraid because we've been taught to be afraid. We're afraid because we believe that that our supply comes from other people instead of from from uh, the divine. Sometimes we're afraid because we attach ourselves to things and people and places and ideas and identities that aren't valid. But we can find that out. We can find all of that out if we look, we turn and look at the fear and say, what do you want? What do you need? What did you come here to tell me? So that's, that's fear. Anger is one of those things we don't typically think of as uh, vulnerable, but it is. Because you know, how many of you have cried when you're angry? I have. Uh, and that's not just for girls. That's not for women, only for women. It's also for men. I've seen men cry when they were, when they were angry as well because it, it taps into its roots. Anger comes from, this is what I say anger is. Anger is your I am and it says I matter. I'm important. I'm here. I'm real. Those are the things that the anger says. And so it's a very useful uh, uh, emotion. Uh, Astrologically, it comes from the planet Mars. Mars symbolizes anger. And so uh, Mars is the planet of war. So definitely we can use anger to create war or battles with other people. But we can also use it to find its roots. And its roots are, I am. I am here. I am real. I matter. And when we get angry, it's because somebody said, you're not real, you don't matter, and you're not really here. Or one of those things. So, uh, so when, we, when anger comes up, if we can look at it as the I am is coming up to say, it's here. Then we can sort through the pieces and find out where the I am. We are choosing to negate our own I am because very often that's what's really happening. Now, other people may also do that, but if we're allowing it, we're doing it too. So, there may be ways in which we can change something we're doing to create a life for ourselves that is uh, broader, makes more room for the I am to present itself. So, an example that I use again and again is, is one in which uh, an office, you're, you're working in the office with someone and your coworker is sloughing off and not doing their job and they spend a lot of their time standing in the doorway of the office, I mean of the boss, talking to the boss, schmoozing with the boss really. And um, you're not only jealous because, you know, he's getting all the boss's attention, but you're also having to do all his work. Let's call him Mike for just clarity's sake. Uh, and so Mike comes in every day and does just a little bit of work, and then he goes over and starts talking to the boss, and then he comes back and does just a tiny bit of work, and then he goes back and talks to the boss. I don't know how the boss is getting anything done in this process, but somehow they're having a good old time laughing and talking about golf and all kinds of things. In the meantime, you're doing Mike's job because the work keeps coming in and has to be done. You're getting madder and madder and madder over time. And 
you know, you can take it this way. You can say, well, this is all Mike's fault. If just if Mike would just, uh, you know, stop doing that, then everything would be fine. And you're considering all kinds of options about what you want to do. So now your anxiety is up too. You're like, well, okay, do I need to go talk to the boss about Mike? And, you know, well, what's going to happen to me? If, if the boss likes Mike better than me, is the is boss going to come after me instead of Mike when I tell on Mike? Or what's going to happen in the back rooms when Mike, Mike catches me and finds out that I'm the one that told and, and complained about what he was doing? Or, you know, what, what kinds of things are going to happen to me as a result of me trying to deal with Mike? And uh, so that, that's, you know, that's some of the thinking that goes on behind our anxiety about what we're going to do about Mike. But see, we're taking that from total ex- uh, totally an external perspective. We're looking at it as if the problem is Mike. The problem's not Mike. The problem is what I'm going to do about this situation. That's me. That's on me, not on Mike. So what am I going to do? So, all right, I do some soul searching about that, and I find out that one of the reasons I'm angry is because Mike reminds me of my brother who got all my father's attention, and I was really jealous of that, and uh, so now now I've got some old unresolved issues I can deal with, and maybe I need to take those to therapy and work on those a little bit. That's one thing. The other thing is that, you know, I really don't like this job anyway. I haven't liked this job for a long time. I never liked this job. I didn't want to take this job, but I had to take this job. I needed the money, right? So... Here I am, you know, doing this job that I don't like, and I'm having to do more of it because Mike's not doing his. Mike probably doesn't like this job either, but he's found a way to not have to do it. I haven't found that way. So what that makes me realize is, you know what? I'm, I'm in the wrong job. So now what am I going to do about that? Well, there's, there's a big reason why we avoid our feelings is because we don't want to really have to take responsibility for what we're, the risks we're going to have to take to do something much more authentic with them. But those risks make our lives much more meaningful if we're willing to take them. So now I've got to think about, well, okay, what do, we, what do I want to be doing? Well, really what I want to do, you know, and have wanted to be do for a long time is I want to be a lab technician. Let's just throw that out there and see if that works. I want to be a lab technician. That's what I've always wanted to do. I think that stuff is really fascinating. That's what I want to be doing. But I don't have the schooling for that. So I guess I'm going to have to figure that out. How am I going to go back to school so I can become a lab technician? Am I going to keep this job while I do it? Or am I going to find some other part-time job and go back to school? Or am I going to get some loans and grants to go back to school? Or am I going to talk to some family members who might be able to provide for it for a little while while I go back to school? What am I going to do? Because if I'm really going to take myself seriously, this is my job to make me happy. It's not Mike's job. Now, that's where anger took me. Anger helped me solve two huge problems in my life because I was willing to look at it and say, okay, I'm going to take this path down into this and see what the, all the vulnerabilities that are there and take the risks that are necessary to do something about it. So that's uh, one of the things that anger can do to us. I say anger is a way of building the house of our lives. Um, and, of course, we need, to build, we need a hammer to build the house of our lives. And anger is that hammer. Anger is the thing that puts the nail in the wood. And if I uh, use it to put the nail in the wood, then eventually I'll have a house. But if I use it to go beat somebody else over the head with it, well, while I'm doing that, I'm not building my house. That's one thing. My energy's going to something other than my chief goal, which is to build the house of my life. But the other thing is that I'm probably going to get caught and put in jail for violating somebody else's physical space, physical body. So, um, you know, anger is a tool that's meant to be used for us. It's not meant to be used on someone else. 
And that's the mistake we make about anger. And that's really the only mistake. Well, that and the fact that we tend to repress it because we, because we think that it's a bad thing to feel. The reason we think it's a bad thing to feel is because we think that we're going to act on it and we're going to do inappropriate things with it. But we don't have to do that. There's nothing inside that says if I feel angry, I have to act on it. Who made that up? Where did we get that idea? But it's true. We very commonly think that. And uh, it, what, what anger really is is just an emotion. It's just an emotion. And we can treat it just like any other emotion. We can walk down into ourselves and say, okay, anger, what have you got to tell me? Instead of saying, okay, anger, I'm just going to do whatever it is you feel like doing. Uh, because that doesn't really solve the problem. Say so you go tell on Mike and, you know, the boss either gets mad at you or likes it. Let's say the boss appreciates that you come to him and said that to him because now he has an excuse and he hasn't had the whatever or the chutzpah to, to say to Mike, you know, you need to stop coming and talking to me. You're keeping me from doing my job. He hasn't had the ability to do that. So now you've given him an excuse to do it and he's really excited about that. Well, guess what? You're still in the same old job. Mike, now, now your coworker hates you and... You're in a job you don't like, so you really haven't solved your problem. So you see, if we handle anger from an external perspective rather than going in for the vulnerabilities, it doesn't really help us very commonly. Now, that's not to say you don't ever need to talk to somebody else about your anger. Certainly, there are times once you've processed it that you're gonna that one of your tools for solving your problem is going to be to talk to somebody to el- to ask to else to ask for what you want um, and what you need. And that's a great solution, but only after you've processed through it for a little while until you come to the conclusion that that's the next authentic step to take. Okay, so in terms of, uh, in terms of emotions, anger and fear are two of the biggies that we're most afraid of. The other thing is that both of them can bring us down to a deep core level sorrow, a grief that's been in there for years that... Um, perhaps we weren't loved the way we wanted to be loved as we grew up or, or perhaps we endured a grief and we've never really let ourselves feel it or uh, perhaps there's a sorrow that we haven't allowed ourselves to be as authentic as we want to be um, or dreams that weren't fulfilled and we've given up on them. Uh, there's all kinds of sorrows that lay down under there that once we start feeling one feeling, some others come up attached to them. And so then we might begin to feel some sorrow. So what do you do with sorrow? Well, one, one very practical thing we can do with sorrow is cry. I mean, how many times have you, over the, over the years that you've been here on this planet, how many times have you just said, no, I'm not going to let myself cry now. I'm just not going to do it. And there's been a few times when saying no just wouldn't work. And it came bubbling out anyway. And it just flooded out over you and you just couldn't stop yourself from sobbing. That's happened to every one of us. But, but there's also been a lot of times when you just said, nope, not going to feel that. I've literally had people come to see me in my private practice who said to me, I can't cry. I can't, I can't cry. And what they mean by that is, I can't be vulnerable to myself enough to let it become physical. Because that's what's happening. When we cry, we're allowing our emotional pain to become physical long enough to us to, for us to express it. It's manifesting as tears so that that is a deep, cathartic expression of our emotions. And so 
you know, when, when, when people can't cry, they don't have any room for catharsis, which means there's uh, everything that's in there is going to stay in there, the tight lid on top, until one day something happens and it's going to boil over and it's going to be really difficult. Those same people, really, literally, those same people have come back to see me years later to say now they can't stop crying. They've bottled it up for so long that it's just got to keep coming out until it's all done. And that's just real, a real simple way to think about that. But it, it really is true that, that when we, when we uh, don't pay attention for long enough and push away our feelings for uh, often enough and hard enough and deep enough, we stop feeling them. We, we go dead. We go numb. That's another complaint I hear often in my office. I feel numb. I just feel numb. I can't feel anything. And the, the answer to that is to start taking small little risks to feel. To just small, not huge. We're not going to go for the big gusto here. We're just going to, you know, what did I feel when that guy said that to me just now? Well, I felt a little happy. Oh, okay, well, let's register that feeling. Let's recognize that. Okay, well, what did I feel that when this person said that to me? Well, I felt a little um, uneasy, uncomfortable. Well, let's, okay, let's register. All you're going to do is just register. Not going to judge them. You're not going to decide what they mean. You're not going to interpret them to mean something about you or to say that you're weak or that you're strong or you're whatever, they're just, you're just noticing them, just going, oh, okay, that's what I felt. And that process begins to open slowly the door again so that we begin to feel. Because the op, the flip, the total polar opposite side of vulnerability is numbness. You know, if on one end of the polarity, there's vulnerability. On the other end is numbness. I'm not going to feel. Now, we think that on one end of the polarity is vulnerability and on the other end is strength, but that is exactly opposite of the truth. Like I've said at the beginning, vulnerability is our strength. So when we, when we choose not to feel our feelings, and there is a, a choice that's made, a subtle, but we make a subtle little choice and they go, nope, not feeling that, not going to go there. Um, when we do that on a frequent basis, we're, we're, we're not going to end up being stronger we're going to end up being number, and uh, and uh, when we get number, then we are less capable of running our own lives because we don't know what we need, we don't know what we want, we don't know where to go to feed ourselves, we don't know where to go to you know find the living water of life. We don't know because we've shut that door, we've slammed it on ourselves, and we've hidden ourselves in the closet behind that door. And nobody's going in there. And that's a really sad and difficult way to live, very empty way to live. So again, vulnerabilities make it possible for us to feel not only the, the harder feelings that we've been talking about today, but also great uh, give us a great capacity for joy. They open us up and expand the, the inner bowl, so to speak, so that we can feel more feelings which means that we now have a greater capacity for deeper love and, and, and greater commitment and more powerful joy so that life becomes just this big, poignant, beautiful thing. Yeah, so let me stop there and then we're going to take a break. And uh, we're going to come back for more. This time we're going to be talking about desires. That's a pleasant, more pleasant, easier topic to talk about and yet one of the hardest. Don't miss it. Coming back in just a minute.
This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you ever felt as if you don't fit in? Are you in need of a breakthrough? You might even need to connect with your angels or a loved one on the other side. Tune in to Exploring the Full Spectrum Life with host Michael Lott. Michael and his guests will provide fresh perspectives, inspiration, healing, and insights for your life. It's time to move into new dimensions in your life and fulfill your higher creative calling now. Start by listening live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Are you ready to shift into higher consciousness? Are you ready for contact with beings from higher dimensions? Ancient and new spiritual technologies will help you take that evolutionary step. Find out more about this powerful shift when you tune in to Conscious Evolution Radio with Ann Gelsheimer. Let's help humanity evolve, bringing in the best possibilities and ideas that our world needs right now. Conscious Evolution Radio can be heard live every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Okay, well, we're on the final segment now, um, and I want to talk a little bit about desires. We said uh, in the first segment that we needed to look at our vulnerabilities because they were offer us our greatest strength, and we talked about how we could deal with fear. We've now talked about how we could deal with anger, and one of the ways we can begin to deal with sorrow, although there's other ways as well, but uh, now I want to talk a little bit about desire because desire is one of those things that has been put on the back burner for most of us. Most of us have been taught that we don't really shouldn't be paying much attention to those because they they represent our selfishness uh, in in the south we have a saying that we make well I'm just that's just really self selfish but let me tell you what I really want and it's so it's another one of those ways of saying I'm gonna I, I, I really have to express this but it feels selfish to me to be able to express it so we, there, we have a lot of thinking in the South, but pretty, all of the Western culture, we have a lot of thinking about being selfish. And so, yes, we need to take care of our needs, and particularly we're, if we're parents, we have to do certain things to take care of our families and provide for our families and, and um, uh, you know, be responsible. But, uh, in, in all, you know, certainly if you have young children, yes, I would really encourage you to be responsible, but in an authentic way for you, the needs of your children. So uh, 
you know, when it comes to desire, though, if we're going to do it in an authentic way, then responsibility means being true to your desires will also enable you to be responsible for your children. And that's something we just don't trust, that if we are true to who we are, it will be the provision we need. Uh, and, and, and we haven't been taught to trust that. We've been taught to, taught to trust that if we make X amount of money, then we can take care of X amount of needs. It's all mathematical, you know, just do the math, right? <laughs> so if we just do the math, then what we come up with is a, a formula for life that says, I got to be responsible. I got to be ahead of the ga- game. I've got to be on top of things. I've got to, you know, just go after this job because it make, gives me lots of money and forget about what I want. And that denies our vulnerabilities and therefore makes us less strong, less capable of running our lives and actually less responsible. Because if we're not being responsible for who we are and taking care of that, then how will we know how to be responsible for somebody else and who they are and take care of that? Or are we going to just teach them the same garbage, which is, you know, get out there and get a job and get the best job you can get and it pays the most money and forget about whether or not you really like it. Just do it. There's still a lot of that thinking going on, even though there's still there's a lot of entrepreneurialism going on and a lot of people saying, I just don't want to do that. I want to do this. There's still that. In spite of that, there's still a lot of, yeah, well, it, may, it, it gets me the money I need, so I'm going to have to do it. It's work, right? Isn't it supposed to be work? That's the mantras that we live out of. And, that, and that's just in the area of career. That's not even in the area of living, breathing, living your life every day, <clears throat> where very commonly we just don't pay any attention to what we want. Um, if you're on a diet, you're taught to not pay attention to what you want. Don't eat that. It's going to make you fat. Eat this. It's going to make you thin. Um, now, I am in favor of health, and I certainly think that we need to be paying attention to the, to the obesity rates in the Western world that have everything to do with the kinds of food we eat, not so much uh, uh, of the other stuff that we tell ourselves. While, the, while we're being sold a lot of uh, processed foods and sugar f- foods full of sugar and carbohydrates, we're also being told that we're too fat. Um, <clears throat> which is a double message uh, that it is kind of, you know, here, eat all this stuff that's going to make you fat, but then don't be fat. Uh, and so we have a lot of people just refusing to eat that stuff. And some of those people are deciding to eat other better stuff. And some of those people just aren't eating. And that's not good. Uh, so uh, when we, when in the little ways of, of things like that, there's a lot of mixed messages and there's a lot of invulnerability where, a lot, where we tell ourselves to just deny what our body wants. Don't pay attention to that guy that's your body. It's just an old mule. mule just kick it and keep it going. Um, and so we don't pay attention to what it desires. And sometimes what your body really truly desires, if you're really listening to it, will get you a better, uh, healthy bo- healthier body. So that's one way. But the other way is just to tune in in the little ways every day to just kind of going, okay, what do I want to do right now? And what do I want to do right now? And what do I want to do right now? Now, does that mean you're going to be right every time? No. Uh, It does mean you can experiment with that and figure out the difference between the subtle shoulds in your life and true desire or the subtle addictions in your life and true desire or the, 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 the subtle ways that you buy into what other people think and true desire because what we want to get to is true desire and so you have to experiment with that a little bit to, to find out what's really true desire 
which actually does make us more vulnerable because true desire is it, it does tap down to that very deepest root of who we are, which is very vulnerable. If somebody were to get in there and try to chop it up, it would be very, very painful. Uh, but it, but it's not. Um, it's it is also our greatest strength because when we operate out of that desire, it gets us a fulfilling life. So we have to be able to make those discernments, though, between those other things, addictions, uh, social agendas, shoulds, um, uh, false dreams that are going to fix something in the past. All of those things come up and present themselves as desires, but they're not really desires. They're just uh, agendas that we've attached to all kinds of other things. Um, so, for example, if I desire to be the next CEO of the company I work in and I just really have to have that and I am working my tail off trying to get there um, because I really think that that job is going to give me the prestige and the money that I want, um, I'm going to keep going after it and going after it and going after it. But if I ever stop to ask myself, what is it about that prestige and that money that's going to make me uh, feel so feel better that I'm just really pushing myself to go after this so hard? I might come up with this, a scenario from my past where I lived in very utter poverty and I was made fun of at school because I didn't have the same kind of clothes other people had and I, um, and I was not able to get all the things that other people, I watched other people get and I watched my mother suffer with bad health because she couldn't afford the medical care she needed. I, I, these, thing, these are the things that poverty brings and I came up in that in that environment and I felt a great deal of shame about it because it made me feel less than other people. So now I found out this CEO job might come open and boy, this is my way to get rid of shame for the rest of my life. Mm, Probably not. (laughs) Probably you're going to feel some of that same shame even after you get the job. So uh, we might have to do some research on that and stop and think about, okay, what is it that I really, what are the tasks? This is one way to develop a career plan. What are the tasks that I would like to do for eight hours a day or longer and 40 to 50 hours a week that I really would do even without getting paid to do it, if possible? Now, sometimes that's, it's not that clear, but, but, you know, if it gets that clear, then that's it, ding, ding. But most of us have something we'd really like to be doing. And for people who say, well, yeah, I don't know, I'd like to just sit around and watch TV. I'd like to do that. <laughs> Those are people that are also typically saying that they feel numb about life. So uh, the people that, if you can get in touch with, you know, what is it that I really, what tasks would I really like to be doing? Let me see if I can find a way to be doing those things all day, every day and get paid for it. That's a way to develop a career plan. Um, and a career plan that doesn't involve finding out what you want is, is a plan for your own defeat ultimately because you won't be fulfilling your life. Even if you're very successful in your career, you won't be fulfilling your life. Uh, so desire is very, very important and one of our deepest vulnerabilities. And you know, one of the things I like about the word desire is that uh, the word, the words that are used in the Hebrew Bible in the Jewish Tanakh that are, are names for God, Jehovah, down at its bottom, bottom, bottom root meaning, meaning it is desire. God, God's name, Jehovah, 
is actually at its root meaning desire. So when we get down to desire, we're getting down to the deepest sacred level of ourselves, that divine part of us. Um, and I would even say the divine whole of us, not part of us, but the divine in us. And and it's and therefore it's it's very, very important to be able to find first and then begin to test and then begin to live out of our truest desires. Because they are life itself. They are the sacred essence of life itself. You can't get more vulnerable than that. And yet you can't get any stronger than that. So when we're living from that place of desire, we're living into our deepest, most vulnerable, most essential divine self. And that's clarity. There's nothing clearer than that. When you're living in that place where you get up every morning and do what you love doing, there's just nothing clearer. You, 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 your life is clear. You're like standing uh, on top of a mountain and looking at the rest of the world going, okay, I see how it really works here. But without that, without that sense of passion and, and fulfillment in your days, it's all kind of blurry. Because you don't really know what you want. You don't really know what you need. You don't really know what, what's true and what's false inside of you. You don't really know what's true and, and false outside of you. Something which your insides can tell you. So, our vulnerabilities are very important. Now, there's one more I want to just mention. We've got just a few minutes before closing, but I want, I want to mention this one more thing. Intuition is a vulnerability. Intuition is, is, is a sense of things. Uh, we watch a cat or a dog when somebody walks in the room and their little nostrils start going and they're sniff, sniff, sniffing everything. They're trying to figure out who's in the room. And we have a part of us that does the same thing. It can figure out who's in the room based purely in intuition. Now, it'll also use observation. It'll also use tone of voice, facial expressions, body language, all kinds of other things to get to the sort of bottom line about who's in the room. But intuition uses all those other tools to bring it to a solid, yeah, I know who's in the room now. And if we got, uh, yeah, this is not a person I can trust that just walked in the room, we need to pay attention to that. That's a vulnerability that is our strength. But we have to be in touch with, in attunement with, the authentic self in order to be in touch with that intuitive place. Um, when, when somebody says something to us and we get an intuitive flash that that's really not the whole truth, we should pay attention to that. That doesn't mean we call the person a liar. It doesn't mean we have to do anything at all with them. It just means that we now know what we're dealing with. And, and we have that information at hand. So it's a little bit of a way of, of, of uh, you know, you're being in the card game, but you're really watching what's going on in the card game so you can play your next best hand. You've got what you've got. You've got the skills, the capacities, the intelligences, the, the, uh, the, the things that you love to do that are yours. You don't have somebody else's, but your intuition can give you a little more room to find out what's really going on. So that you can make solid, good decisions. And again, that's a way of being strong. So again, our vulnerabilities make us stronger. So today we've talked about fear as a vulnerability that can make us stronger. We've talked about anger as a vulnerability that can make us stronger. We've talked about sorrow. And we've talked just a little bit about how that can work to, to bring us to a, uh, our greater strength in terms of our vulnerability. We've uh, talked about desire 
as a vulnerability that can make our lives be completely fulfilled and help us live into that sacred divine essence of who we are. And we've talked a little tiny bit about intuition and how that works as well as a vulnerability that can make us stronger. So what we haven't talked about all the vulnerabilities, but we have talked about enough of them so that I hope that you've gotten the picture that your vulnerabilities are your greatest strength. So that's it for today. And we're going to be back again next week, so come back for more next week, Wednesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. I look forward to talking with you every week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.